ಓಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣುರಮರ್ದನ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೊ ಇನ್ ದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಎಟ್ ಅ ಪಾಯಿಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಇನ್ಫ್ಲೆಕ್ಷನ್ ದಟ್ ಮೀನ್ಸ್ ಅ ಪಾಯಿಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಚೇಂಜ್ ನಾವು ದ ಸಬ್ಜೆಕ್ಟ್ ಮ್ಯಾಟರ್ ಇಸ್ ಗೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಚೇಂಜ್ ನಾವು ಅಂಟಿಲ್ ದಿಸ್ ಪಾಯಿಂಟ್ ಶ್ರೀ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ಟಾಟ್ ಜ್ಞಾನ ಯೋಗ ದಿ ಸೆಂಟ್ರಲ್ ಟೀಚಿಂಗ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ದಿ ಡಾಕ್ಟ್ರಿನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಆತ್ಮನ್ ದಟ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ನಾಟ್ ದ ಬಾಡಿ ನಾಟ್ ದ ಮೈಂಡ್ ವಿ ಆರ್ ಇಮಾರ್ಟಲ್ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಟ್ ಪ್ಯೋರ್ ಕಾನ್ಷಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ so that's what he had taught and also and now he's going to talk about karma yoga how to transform our actions into spiritual practice in between there was this short interesting section from verse number 31 to 38 yes where sri krishna used a battery of ethical arguments practical arguments to convince arjuna to do his duty and so that section has come to an end with the 38th verse which we read last time did we not read it last time 38 sukhe dukhe same kritwa labha labho jaya jayo tato yuddhaya yujjasva naiva papam avapsyasi regarding pleasure and pain sukha dukha pleasure and pain alike gain and loss labha labha alike victory and defeat jaya ajaya alike um prepare yourself for doing your duty in this way you will not incur sin just a note that these terms are causally connected if you look if you read closely you'll see um pleasure and pain in the battle that he's going to fight it comes out of um whether he has gained or lost if he gains then we if we get, gain then we if, if we are the winners if we gain then we feel happy if we lose then we feel and dejected the pain and what is gain in this context it is victory in battle what is loss in this context it is defeat in battle so look at the sequence sukha pleasure is caused by labha that is gain and labha means jaya that means victory dukha sorrow is caused by alava that is loss loss is ajaya that is not victory or defeat in battle so it's actually causally connected but what he is saying is be serene in with regard to these how can you be serene in regard to this only in one way if you are doing it as the right thing to do see if you are doing it for victory which arjuna was which is a, a common sense that when you're fighting you're you're uh, do, taking up any action what what do you want to get out of it if you want worldly yeah success a worldly success so for arjuna that meant victory that meant revenge on the evil doers and so and so forth taking back what is rightfully belongs to him and to his uh, brothers but sri krishna urges him to give up all of that see in between what has happened is Arjuna came to the battlefield with all these armies for that purpose to to get what is rightfully his and to defeat the evil doers and so on and so forth. Now when he sees the terrible cost of that truly like any good person he feels it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I will gain something but at what cost? My relatives. This is this is a terrible thing to do. And he's right. is that right that, that that's a terrible thing to do if if the thing is his personal gain but what sri krishna points out is that it's not really a question of your personal gain you are in this great dilemma because you are in it for yourself in a legitimate way in a righteous way not, nothing um, uh, bad about it but still yourself was central to it all you're doing it for yourself but now think about it this way i am not doing it for myself i am doing it for the welfare of 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 the kingdom i am doing it because it is it is what i am supposed to do my duty in this situation in that case it makes a huge difference does it yes it does if you are doing the right thing 
if very convinced that you are doing the right thing then whether you succeed or not is not so germane is not so important if you succeed you will be happy i did the right thing and i succeeded in doing the right thing i'm happy i did the right thing but i failed didn't work out all right unhappy but still but still it's not as terrible as i fought a war entirely for my selfish purposes and and created such havoc and i failed it's all round failure then but here he has done the moral thing the ethical thing the good thing and maybe who knows might have failed even then it's all right so he says na papam avapsyasi you will not incur sin do it with selfish motives then whatever you do is sinful you're doing it for yourself so if you win it's still <laughs> sinful if you if you lose it's still sinful so the importance of the mental attitude in action has been pointed out here but we have done this now comes the switch in subject 39th verse please repeat after me एषा तेता सांख्येषा तेता सांख्ये बुद्धि शृणु बुद्धि शृणु बुद्धियायुक्त यया पाथ बुद्धियायुक्त यया पाथ कर्म बंधम प्रहास्यसी the teaching about the self has been given teaching about the atman has been given to you now listen to the teaching about action karma yoga being equipped with which being endowed with which you will transcend the bondage created by action i'll repeat again you have heard that the teaching about atman who am i what is the reality about our myself you have heard that now listen to the teaching about action karma yoga what will that do by practicing that you will transcend the bondage created by action so it, it has to be unpacked and what he will do from now on is going to unpack it one question here the teaching about the self atman one might ask i am brahman chidananda roopah shivoham that was the teaching i am brahman i am pure consciousness the world is an appearance the te- central teaching of advaita vedanta tattvamasi that thou art that has been given so what else is needed what is this now why why does this topic come up at all what's the point the point is this first of all even after giving that that teaching it often does not work there might be a rare person who becomes illumined being told that you are the atman you are the witness consciousness all right done thank you very much gita over half the second chapter and the whole gita is finished but arjuna like the rest of us has many questions and many other problems it doesn't straight away work philosophy itself being realized in in life becoming enlightened directly by the teaching it might work but for for a very few for most of us we have many other problems so those things have to be dealt with then there are other other issues involved what about i realize i'm the atman but what about this life i have got things to do in this life there are people in my life there is this action there's my life to lead how do i connect it to my spirituality are there two things one is spiritual life another one secular life if there are two things you know and that's what happens to most of us spiritual life vedanta society friday evening 7:30 <laughs> rest of it secular life the spiritual life is going to lose and lose badly why because the demands of secular life are so tough you have a family to look after you have a job to hold you have health problems financial problems community social political problems so many pressures on life that uh, spirituality is nice a talk now a little bit of mindfulness sometime a little this and that and uh, good but the moment some pressure comes 
we immediately start dealing with that and spirituality takes the back seat. That which was meant to solve all the problems in our life, it doesn't help us in a crisis. Not only that, it sometimes becomes an additional problem, to-do list, so many things to do and also a Gita class on top of that. Usually the Gita class is the first to be sacrificed. Now, not you, because <laughs> you have taken the trouble to turn up on a cold day. But it ha it's natural. It's natural. I remember the difference between karma and meditation. A, a senior monk telling a novice in our ashram there, that we, as novices we all had duties. So that novice's duty was to, um, to sell books in the bookshop. So he has to maintain the bookshop. The senior monk was telling the novice, I hope you get up early and meditate. See my boy. There's nobody who's going to tell you to do that. The bookshop will make you work. Because people will line up and if you don't open the bookshop, they're going to complain to the senior monk about you. Look at the, the brahmachari, the novice is so lazy, he hasn't opened the bookshop on time. It's not clean, it's not kept nicely, this book is not available and so on and so forth. So the world will extract work from you. As far as your external activities are concerned. Let it be karma yoga. Let it be just your ordinary duties in life. The world will extract it from you. It will make you perform. But you and God. You're sitting quietly in the, in the early morning darkness and meditating on God. God is an easy boss, apparently. He's not going to hold you accountable. You don't turn up for meditation. Alright. It's your loss. God has nothing to say. He's going to sit quietly. So you're going to meditate or not meditate, uh, there it depends on you. That often happens, that becomes the problem if you split up spiritual life and secular life. So spiritualizing the whole of life is important. Spiritualizing the whole of life is important. Because I often hear this question. I talk a lot about Advaita Vedanta. And people like it. But a common question, the most common question is, Swami, I've heard the talks, I've read the books, now what? Now what? If Advaita Vedanta works as it is supposed to work, you wouldn't even ask the question, now what? But because we ask the question, Sri Krishna has a new section beginning now on Karma Yoga. Now this, this is what you're going to do. There's a word here, tu, tvimam shrinu. In Sanskrit, tu, the word is prakarana vichedartham, which means to differentiate between two sections of the same chapter. So one section is over, now we are beginning another section. Jnana yoga is over, karma yoga is starting now. Tvimam shrinu, buddhi yogam tvimam shrinu, tu. A few, before we start, a few words about the terms used here. Yes, you might ask, you are using words like Advaita and Vedanta and Jnana Yoga. Where has Krishna used such words? So the Krishna uses the words Sankhya. Now this is a very old use of the word Sankhya. Sankhya means knowledge here. Knowledge about the Atman. Specifically knowledge about the Atman. The other term, other meaning of the word Sankhya we know. It's a system of philosophy. One of the six systems of orthodox Hindu philosophy. Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Sankhya, Yoga. Yes, you heard correctly, Yoga. Yoga is among many meanings of Yoga. One, of, one is the philosophy of Yoga. Yoga, Purva Mimamsa, Uttara Mimamsa. Six systems. That Uttara Mimamsa, the later Mimamsa, is, is the technical name for Vedanta. What we call Vedanta. So Sankhya is one of the systems of philosophy. But here it's, that's not what is meant. When Krishna says, I have taught you Sankhya, I have taught you knowledge about the Atman. The philosophy of Sankhya is also about the Atman, about the self. But here specifically he means, I have given you knowledge about the real nature of the self till now. Now, Yoga. Buddhi Yoga Etu Imam Srinu. Now listen to the teaching about Yoga. What Yoga is he referring to here now? The word Karma Yoga. So yoga here refers to karma yoga. So the, if you, I said jnana yoga and karma yoga, two sections. In Krishna's words, sankhya and, kar, and yoga. Yoga means karma yoga and sankhya means jnana yoga in our terminology. 
There is a very ancient saying, we don't know who said it, but a beautiful and very important saying for our spiritual life. Sankhya samam jnanam nasti, yoga samam balam nasti. There is no knowledge like the knowledge of the self, Sankhya. And there is no power like the power of spiritual practice, yoga. In life, what do you need? You need knowledge and power. You need to know and the power to do. That knowledge, our real nature, comes from Advaita Vedanta or Jnana Yoga. And what you have to do, Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga and Dhyana, Raja Yoga, those are the three. All right. Being equipped with this knowledge, what so Arjuna might ask, so what, what will happen to me if I get that? This knowledge, you will overcome the bondage created by action. Karma otherwise creates bondage, keeps us in samsara. How can we use that very karma to escape from samsara, to get freedom from samsara? Um, Swami Vivekananda says that you cannot run away from samsara. You must learn to work the machine. This is the word, these are the words he uses. One must learn to work the machine so that the machine sets you free. If you try to run, you'll be crushed by that machine. Learn to work the machine, operate the machine so that it sets you free. How do we operate the machinery of life so that we are liberated from samsara? We get salvation, enlightenment, moksha, nirvana. That will be the teaching now. Another point, see these are the points which commentators bring out. It may not occur to us, but uh, they think very deeply. And they have this, if this was the purpose to teach Jnana Yoga and then Karma Yoga, so after completing the Jnana Yoga teaching, which was in verse 30, up to 30, should have straight started with this. What was that between 31 and 38? What was that? That's because, according to one commentator, when we are going to do karma yoga, that is spiritualizing my karma, first of all one must know kartavya karma. That is, what am I going to do? I am going to spiritualize it, correct. But what is it that I am supposed to do? What is it that I am not supposed to do? So from 31 to 38, Krishna has clearly pointed out, Arjuna knows this, but it needed, needed to be said. What is the duty actually? What, what should Arjuna do? What should he not do? It's a beautiful uh, way of teaching. These teachers, Krishna, uh, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, Shankara, all of them, and of course Ramakrishna, they were master teachers. If you just look at the pedagogy involved, uh, the way they teach, the communication. If you notice in verses 31 to 38, he stated what should be done first. Second, he stated what should not be done. And finally, he concluded again with what should be done. In between, he discussed the advantages of doing what should be done and the disadvantages of not doing his duty. Those were discussed. And he draws it to a conclusion in the end by saying, once again stating what he should do. I was in a discussion group just yesterday. We were discussing how to Communicate with children. Modern psychology. So first you have to acknowledge the situation. This is the problem and this is what you are saying. So an observation, an acknowledgement. Then you have to express a feeling. Krishna does that again and again. You'll notice how he, he proclaims that I love you. I am your well-wisher. Again and again here. He expresses. It's not a neutral teaching from a distance. Because I'm your well-wisher, nobody loves you more than me. Therefore, I'm saying it. And then express a request. This is what you should do. And keep the person's freedom int intact. Having said all this, you're still free. I'm not putting any pressure on you. At the end of eight, 18 chapters, what does Krishna say? The last thing he says is, Yathesh Tathakuru. After having listened to all this, now do as you will. I'm done. But you're free to do whatever you want. Sri Krishna, Ramakrishna also says that. Jai Chitai Karo. Advaita Gyan Achole Vede Jai Chitai Karo. Tie the knowledge of Advaita to the hem of your cloth and then do as you will. That means base yourself, your philosophy on, on, uh, on the philosophy of non-dualism. Let that 
that light up your mind and then do what you want, what you will. What you will means do whether you want to be a yogi or a devotee or a jnani or engaged in dynamic action for the welfare of the world. Whatever you want to do, do. Sri Ramakrishna says that. Jayatse Taikara literally means do whatever you want. But it's, it can often be used in Bengali as a kind of a, um, kind of, 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 of a, of a scolding. Uh, moms often u- use it. Exasperated moms say to children, or do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I give up. So Jayatse Karo. I remember the fu- there was a funny incident where there was this uh, um, senior Swami in an ashram scolding a young monk who was a very innocent but, but, but uh, apt to exasperate the senior monk sometimes. Um, the monk, the, finally the senior monk said, whatever are you doing? What is this you're doing? And the young monk said, didn't, Swami, don't you know what Sri Ramakrishna said? Tie the knowledge of Advaita to the hem of your cloth and do whatever you like. <laughs> he said, oh, so you have tied the knowledge of Advaita to your cloth? And the young monk replied, I'm trying to do a part of it at least. <laughs> Half of it, do whatever you like. So I'm doing that. I'm practicing that part. I'm practicing that part. So first, Sri Krishna determines what has to be done in the verses 31 to 38. Now, how do you do it spiritually? This is your duty. Now, how do you do it spiritually? That's going to start now. Okay, there's one more thing I need to say before I go on. Notice how karma yoga is being positioned here. Karma yoga is being positioned as a means, as a practice to enable you to realize jnana yoga. I am the Atman. In order to realize that in my life, I need to do these practices to prepare myself. So the, the inner... Um, Text, the subtext is what we are going to teach you will not give you enlightenment or freedom directly, but it will prepare you for the higher knowledge of the Atman. I'll repeat that. Karma yoga as a practice to jnana yoga, as a supplement to, as a step to jnana yoga. The commentator here, Sridhar Swami, this is one, one commentator, but this is typical. He says, Upadishtam jnana yogam upasangharan tat sadhanam karma yogam prastoti. Having concluded the teaching about jnana, the means to that is now being introduced. Karma yoga as a means to that is being introduced. But this is a maneuver done by the commentators. Krishna never clearly says that it is a means to. Karma yoga is a means to jnana yoga. Later on you'll see Swami Vivekananda says each of them independently can take you there. But the traditional commentators, Shankara for example and Sridhara, they, they put jnana knowledge at the top and others uh, leading up to that. So I have said this earlier but this is the right time to say it and I'll have an occasion to repeat it again. What is the framework? Keep this in mind. The framework of spiritual practice. The, let us call it, the Let's call it the matrix of spiritual practice. What are we to do, if that is the question, in spiritual life? To become enlightened, to attain moksha, liberation, salvation. What are we to do? According to Vedanta, here is the answer. Make a matrix in your mind, three by three. In your mind, three columns. The first column is problem. The second column is solution. The third column is method. Problem, solution, method. Three columns. All right. Vedanta tells us you are Brahman. You are pure being, immortal, beyond any, any suffering. Your pure awareness, beyond the problems of the body, be all, f- are forever perfect, forever beyond the problems of the mind. And stops. And we are left sort of scratching our heads. Um, that doesn't quite help me. Why? Doesn't seem to be a living reality to me. It doesn't seem... Uh, I've heard it. I'm not sure I understand what it means. And it certainly doesn't seem to be a lived reality to me. 
it's not realized yet it's not um uh, it, it i'm not awake to that reality what you're talking about so problem you said it but i'm i, I don't realize it i don't know it not knowing not realizing so the problem the first problem is agyana ignorance first problem is agyana ignorance what i'm telling now is absolutely key to understanding bhagavad gita uh, from the vedanta perspective advaita vedanta perspective so you have to keep it in mind it many questions you know from now on can be answered i might just say refer to the matrix tell me the answer you can easily get the answer yourself so what is the matrix first problem is ignorance agyana sanskrit what is the solution solution knowledge solution for any problem any ignorance is knowledge gyana in sanskrit here i'll point out something which seems obvious but still good to keep in mind knowledge removes ignorance correct provided provided there are two conditions the object and locus of knowledge and ignorance are the same object and locus of the knowledge and ignorance are the same what do you mean that sounds really difficult no it isn't it's very very it's really simple really simple it just philosophers love to make simple things difficult what does it mean suppose i am ignorant the question will be ignorant of what i'm ignorant of physics ah so i have ignorance of physics what is the object of my ignorance what is it that i do not know physics where is this ignorance in me in me the student the student is ignorant of physics now knowledge will be required to remove this ignorance remember knowledge must have the same uh, same uh, object and same locus locus means place residence which means what kind of knowledge is required and where is that knowledge required knowledge of mathematics or knowledge of uh, sanskrit will not remove my ignorance of physics knowledge of uh, physics will remove my ignorance of physics because the object of knowledge and object of ignorance must be the same one my professor's knowledge of physics will not remove my no- uh, ignorance of physics that knowledge has to come in me it has to arise in me i must get the feeling that i must know it in that case the knowledge is here ignorance was here that knowledge when it comes here it will remove the ignorance here so ignorance about atman about the self who i really am that can be removed only by knowledge of sanskrit gita knowledge of atman yes knowledge of atman and my guru's knowledge is not enough sri ramakrishna and vivekananda's knowledge is not enough to remove my my ignorance it must come here they can help me but it must ultimately come here i must realize it so knowledge removes ignorance gyana removes agyana problem ignorance solution knowledge method how do i get that knowledge shravana manana niridhyasana this is gyana yoga shravana manana niridhyasana literally hearing reasoning meditating hearing reasoning meditating hearing here means systematically studying vedanta which means coming to class listening carefully thinking about it asking questions congratulations you are already practicing gyana yoga yes the moment you have started shravana listening to vedanta and thinking applying the mind to it we're already practicing in fact this is the first step and the you know which is the most important step in in um, gyana yoga the path of knowledge it is this listening not the meditation afterwards they say shravanat eva gyanam by by what you hear alone knowledge comes reasoning and meditation are to remove obstructions in knowledge there are a lot of explanations to be done there i will not go into it so method listening that means studying reasoning and meditation one after another in sequence so now you have the first row of the matrix problem ignorance of the atman solution knowledge of the atman how do i get that knowledge listen reason 
meditate shravana manana niridhyasana now we again back to scratching our heads yeah well i've been coming to class for so i mean you have come for 2 years now i've been coming to class for 20 years and i don't see enlightenment coming or anywhere close to it what is the problem now the problem now the second tier the second rope the problem now is what in sanskrit is called vikshepa the mind is scattered the mind is restless the mind is unable to absorb this teaching clarity does not dawn focus does not come we hear it even when we apply ourselves to it the result is we say um i get some kind of intellectual knowledge that is the sign that uh clarity has not yet come so vikshep a scattered mind you see what's the problem i have gone through your your uh, recommendation uh, i have done uh, hearing and reasoning and meditation to some extent at least for a long time it has not worked now the problem is why has it not worked or why is it not working many people keep coming to class for years and years and they have so many notebooks and, and nowadays um you know uh, hard disks full of talks and things like that so what is happening restless mind restless mind problem solution concentration focus solution it's a huge problem these days lack of attention restlessness hyper restlessness especially among kids daniel goldman who who became very famous writing eq about the book on emotional intelligence not one book one after another the latest book is written is called focus it's it's about uh, concentration so anyway this is the same problem exactly the same problem inability to hold on and focus and and not just in in um, vedanta in any sphere of life in any sphere of life to do anything great to make any kind of breakthrough you need focus you need to hold on more than talent this bearing down upon it to hold on to it, some something and seriously plug away at it for months and years and years together that is more important than being talented or being very brilliant i like this american saying this uh, a big shot a big shot is a little shot who keeps shooting <laughs> focus the ability to hold on i have a friend who is a mathematician tremendous focus now he was saying that this is what is important for to be a good mathematician it's not really important to be very particularly brilliant you need talent so i said then why don't they do it i mean they could have more people just if you need to keep doing it he said they won't that's it they don't they get distracted by mobile phones and movies and socializing and so on and so forth they won't i remember going to in india this iits are um very uh, well known engineering colleges i went to another engineering college to give a talk to the students there and um i was talking to the students it, it it's not of the rank of the iits a little a couple of steps down in the ranking and i remember what i told the students based on my observation i said look whenever i go to a college or university i visit the library i love libraries i do that here also whenever i go to a college or university and you have fantastic libraries here then i said here is the difference between you guys and that elite engineering college here i find you have extraordinary excellent um, you know computer shiny computer departments and labs and a beautiful library and that's what they have in the iits too but here is the difference it's not a difference in your in your facilities it's not so much of a difference in your faculty the difference is this when i went to the library just before the talk i'd gone to visit the library so very nice where are the kids oh they've all gone home the computer department rows and rows of shiny new computers 
empty. Nobody's there. One or two boys and girls are sitting. Where are they? They have gone out, you know, they're socializing, gone back home or something like that. So when I went to the class which I was supposed to address, I said, when I went to that college, which you guys look up to, I went and sat in the library to read with the, with the students there and their group of students reading. Then I went to my room to do some work and, you know, took a bath and had lunch and I came back. And I was amazed to see that eight hours later, the same students, group of students were sitting around me, evidently at it, exactly the same way which they had been eight hours earlier. And I told the students there in that college, uh, the, that elite one, oh, I'm so impressed how these kids in this day and age, they've got so much focus. And they said, Swami, you are visiting in, in the lean hours. That means if you come during exam time, you will find the kids, they get, get into the library to study. The moment, you know, early in the morning, it's open throughout the day. And they are in the library throughout the day, throughout the evening, throughout the night, Next morning, they go to the washroom in the library, wash their faces, and go straight to the uh, examination halls. 24 hours without a break. No coffee break, no lunch, no lunch, no dinner, nothing. Sometimes they do that. So I said to those kids, this is the difference. So I asked the professor, so if it's that, why don't they do it? They, they won't. They won't, unfortunately. It's not possible. Everybody doesn't have that, that, that kind of capacity to hold on. Now, focus is important. Focus, if, if distraction is the problem, vikshepa, then the solution is ekagrata, concentration. And the method is meditation. Upasana, meditation. Upasana is meditation. Worship, meditation. Then... People will say, um, back to scratching your head again. I, you know, I took initiation and I've been practicing meditation for 20 years and meditation is not particularly good. I still am so distracted. And What's the problem now? Third tier. The last, I promise this is the last tier of problems. We are going to complete the matrix now. The last tier of problems. Impurity of mind. Ashuddha chitta. In Sanskrit, chitta mala. Mala means dirt. Chitta mala. Impurity of mind. What is the solution? Purity of mind, chitta shuddhi. That's a no-brainer. Purity of mind. How is that accomplished? What is the method? Karma yoga. This is what is coming in here. Karma yoga. Doing what needs to be done with a spiritual attitude. Spiritualizing your day-to-day -day activity. Now you have the matrix. Let me draw it again for in your mind's eye. Just draw it again. First um, column. Problem. So in the first row, you have got ignorance. Solution, knowledge. Method, hearing, reasoning, meditating. Jnana Yoga. Second row problem. Problem is distracted mind. Sanskrit, vikshepa. Solution, focused mind. Sanskrit, ekagrata. Method, upasana, worship, meditation. Third row. Why even meditation is not successful? Third row, impure mind. Chitta mala, impurities in the mind. Solution, pure mind, chitta shuddhi. Method, powerful method, one powerful method, karma yoga. So now you have the matrix. With a purified mind, when you sit down to meditate, meditation is immediate, powerful and effective. With a concentrated and purified mind, when you approach the teaching of the Atman, there is a breakthrough. You intuitively grasp, oh, it is so. I am the unaffected witness consciousness. Chidananda Rupa Shivoham. I am pure awareness, pure bliss. It is so. You don't have to become that. It becomes very clear. And that is realization, enlightenment, bodhi, whatever you call it, Brahma Jnana. Yeah, that happens. So this is the whole spiritual journey. But again, this is one framework. Remember, this is the framework according to Advaita Vedanta, Shankara. If you ask a teacher of bhakti, they'll say, oh, no, 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 no not like this. Something else. Yes. I had a question about Chitta Shuddhi. Yes. Pure mind is no negative thoughts? No, no, no. It's not that. It is a preponderance of 
pure thoughts, you know, what will happen is spiritual life becomes desirable and nice and not so much of a struggle. You like meditating. You like service. You like reading about, um, you know, you like reading the Gita or the Bible or whatever it is. Spiritual life becomes desirable, nice, uh, interesting. And you're able to. You're able to do it. That is the sign of purity. Not that once in a while anger, disturbance, greed, reactions will not come. Of course they will come. How do you deal with it when they come? Some people get swept away. Some people get caught up in it. Alright, I'll give you the sign of Chitta Shuddhi. What will happen is this. Over time. Over time. What will happen is the frequency of, uh, uh, yes, the frequency of these upsets, irritation, outburst, depression, inability to control myself, the frequency will go down. And the second thing which will happen will be the intensity of these negativities will, will get reduced, will go down. So earlier I used to fly into a rage, now I'm mildly irritated. Earlier I used to be angry almost every other day. Now every other week. And the recovery time will go down. Earlier if I am angry in the morning it will take me three, day, three days to cool down. Now if I am angry now next moment I am alright. They were saying Shadhur Rag Jolet Dag. The anger of a monk should be like a line drawn in flowing water. As soon as you draw it it goes away. It's not that anger will not be there. Swami Vivekananda said... A fool cannot get angry. The wise one does not get angry. So, yes. This is a monk in Chennai. He told me this. This is a good way to measure your progress in spiritual life. It happens over time. It's gently, even, even without any kind of specific spiritual practice. Maturity is what we could call, this is what is called maturity. Emotional maturity is this thing. The frequency of problems, the intensity of problems, and the recovery time from the problems, they all go down. Over years you will notice it is happening. Yes. Swami, I think you gave an example how the students, they were able to focus and study hmm. and the So when you're a student and as, as more, you know, that, that's the stage where you can just focus and all your happiness is actually studying, whether it's physics or math or whatever. So there's an ability to focus and also purify the mind. As people grow and then they realize what, I mean, as they experience more of the worldly life, so I feel like they, they move away from that. So just, just trying to understand how sometimes actually life makes it harder. Yes and no. Does, do you lose the ability to focus? Yes and no. If you, if you do not keep in training, you will lose these abilities. So, I've seen students who became academicians, researchers. They retain the ability to focus because they are focusing. A student who goes into managing a multinational corporation with a hundred and everything or, or a busy mom. So, very difficult to focus on one thing because half a dozen things are calling for your attention. I saw a cartoon. Um, it was a philosophy journal. The, issue, the, the theme was time. So the cartoon was, on one side is the old man with a scythe standing, it's written, Father Time, you know, looking brooding, Father Time, old man. And the next picture is of this lady, she's got a handbag and two kids hanging onto her hand and another kid on a pram and racing along, she looks harried, it says, Mother, not enough time. <laughs> Father Time and Mother, not enough time. So sometimes you're put in a situation where it's difficult to focus, but even there, notice, the person who can focus will get much more done, much better than the person who cannot focus. Yeah. And these practices help you to maintain and develop your power of focus. Meditation, it does. It does help. The ability to sit still and hold on to one thought for a while. That is the very essence of concentration, of focus. Yeah. Nowadays there is so much emphasis on mindfulness. It's, it's a huge thing in USA now. Children are being taught mindfulness. 
not just for focus for calming down for de-stressing but for focus also for awareness yes Oh, you noticed. Good. Somebody is noticing. Yes, there's a difference. There's a big difference. The meditation which is done in the first one, that is called Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. The meditation which is done in the earlier, in the second row, that is the yogic meditation, that is Dhyana or Upasana. Now, there is a difference. I will not go into that, but if you want, I will refer you to Aparokshanubhuti. I have a series of lectures. towards the end of those lectures in aparokshanubhuti from verses 101 onwards shankaracharya talks about vedantic meditation that is the row one kind of meditation but he also contrasts it with the yogic meditation the purpose of Ved- vedantic meditation is to realize that i am brahman the purpose of yogic meditation is to develop the power of focus yeah. i'll leave it at that but there are there is a difference in principle there and in practice also all right i this is as much as i wanted to say this is the framework and we will use this throughout our study of gita but remember this is just a framework you if you t- come to some other spiritual tradition they may have a different framework the bhakti traditions for example they will never say karma yoga then um, upasana and then gyana yoga no 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 bhakti alone beginning middle and end bhakti devotion you want purity of mind bhakti devotion will give it to you you want focus love what gives you more focus than love and you want knowledge love of god will give you knowledge ultimately god will give you knowledge so all will come from love are they wrong no they're not wrong that's another another way of looking at it but advaita vedanta the, the approach is like this All right. Having said this, let us go on. I'm not going too much into this karma bandham prahasyasi. By following karma yoga, you will overcome the bondage of karma. What does that mean? Krishna himself explains. Forty. Neha bhikramona shosti. Neha bhikramona shosti. Pratyavayo na vidyate. प्रत्यवायो न विद्यते स्वल्पमप्यस्य धर्मस्य स्वल्पमप्यस्य धर्मस्य त्रायते महतो भयात् त्रायते महतो भयात् इन दिस प्रैक्टिस कर्मयोगा इन कंट्रास्ट टू वर्ल्डली कर्मा एक्शन इन द वर्ल्ड वर्ल्डली एक्शन फैमिली जॉब व्हाटेवर इट इज in contrast to that worldly karma this karma yoga when you are doing the same action but when you change your attitude and make it to karma yoga what will happen there is no wastage you begin something do not complete it is it a, you have to write it off total loss no whatever you do it goes towards your spiritual progress if that's what you're interested in spiritual progress then pratyavayo na vidyate there is no opposite effect or no bad effect no side effects to this medicine mm-hmm. then swalpam apyasya dharmasya trayate mahato bhayat whatever little you practice gives result it protects you says from great fear the fear of birth and death the fear of samsara even a little bit of practice not that you have to become a vivekananda and buddha and then only you get the result oh no then very very few people would practice it but to the extent that we are spiritual to the extent that you pray to the extent that you meditate to the extent that you study and think about it to that extent you will get peace of mind you will get joy you will get strength i have seen many times people who say that oh i've been doing with meditation or vedanta or something buddhism for a long time not i haven't really got, gotten much out of it i mean i've not really advanced and so many problems still remain and when i say all right stop it then give it up oh no 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 i can't do that in many of these cases they will say in most cases they will say that is the most precious thing in my life now ah then how can you say that you have not got anything i remember when i i became a monk as a as a novice 3 days afterwards i told another monk not a very senior monk we're too scared to approach the very senior ones a fairly middling level monk i said oh nothing is happening 
I mean, I'm not progressing. Three days into the monastic life. <laughs> and he shot back with something I'll never forget. He said, okay, go back home. I said, no, I can't do that. I, can't ima I really could not imagine going back home. Then uh, he said, look, that place you called home for 23 years has within three days become unthinkable for you. Is that not progress? It's incredible progress. Not that it's become very bad. It's exactly what it was earlier. But now you have got a taste of something which there's no comparison. You would rather keep on doing this. I remember some of those things, the early lessons we learned. Really worthwhile. I'll share a couple. The first day, it was a, a monastery. It had a school attached to it. It's in Ramakrishna Mission Vidyapit Deoghar. So, third or fourth day when I was there, one of the monks took me to the school to teach the kids. And um, he introduced me to the teachers. The teachers there, there, some of the monks teach, and there are other teachers who are paid teachers. You know, like teachers in any school, any high school. But the monks and the teachers work together. So when I was introduced, here is this young boy who has come to be a monk and he is going to work in the school for the time being. Um, and the Swami who was introducing me said, he has got these qualifications, these degrees and things like that. And one senior teacher, an old gentleman, he said, ah, we are lucky to have him then. You know, he's got such a qualified boy. We're lucky to have him. And immediately the Swami said, correcting him, no, he is lucky to be here. Look, that correction, do you see what I mean? That consider it the greatest blessing of your life that you are accepted into this holy order. We are not lucky to have you. You are lucky to be here. And I said, there's a, a great lesson to learn for the rest of my life. That was one. Um, one day, I think, I was sweeping the road beneath the building or something like that. And one senior, uh, not a senior monk, um, a monk was just senior to me, just a f uh, few years more, more than me. He was going from there to the main monastery, he was leaving, and I was going to take his place. And while leaving, he left me with a little bit of advice. He said, look, this sweeping you're doing, suppose they tell you all the rest of your life, in your monastic life, the only thing that you'll ever be good for is just sweeping this road. And I don't know, I was emotional, I guess. <laughs> so I, I said, it's perfectly all right with me. I'm ready to keep sweeping this road for, road for the rest of my life. Just if you let me stay here. And then he was so happy. He was also a young man, little, little, a few years older than me. He said, that's the attitude. If you have that attitude, you'll be a good monk. Now, so these are, uh, this is the spirit of karma yoga. And we saw so much of this. All right. Neha Vikrama Nashavasti. Worldly action, if you begin it, you must complete it. You can't sow the seeds to have a, a farmer can't do that. And, and then you have to, you, have to, you know, um, prepare the field and sow the seeds and uh, then water it, irrigate it, and then put fertilizers and stuff and supplements and so on, and then harvest the crops. But suppose somebody says, um, I'll do, maybe I'll sow the seeds, rest I will not do, so won't I get one-fourth of the crops? No, you won't. It will be a total loss. You start producing a new gadget. You invented it, good. And then you start producing it. But if you don't produce it and take it all the way to the, to the consumer, you won't get a penny back. Until you complete a worldly action, no results are there. Now that applies for religious actions also, which are done for worldly purposes. So the puja, which is done for a particular, it's called sakama upasana, sakama karma, karma done with desire. I want money or you know, so many things. The, the first part of the Vedas are full of what are called yajnas, sacrifices, fire sacrifices. Basically, you're bribing God to help you out. I mean, I'm putting it in a very general sense. 
you, I offered this and I want this in life. What do you want? Something in this life. Let the rains be good to us. Let the disease not touch our um, community. You know, what, what persons would have hoped for 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Protect us from our enemies and so on and so forth. Now, all of those rituals, there's a saying that you must perform them properly. They must be performed just like any work you do in the world. They must be done perfectly. Then only the result is expected. Do it halfway, haphazardly? No. <coughs> you don't get anything. But in contrast to that, he says, karma yoga for liberation, for enlightenment, for love of God. Whatever you do, it is not ruined. Even if you don't bring it to a completion. You chant the name of God a thousand times, good. You chant it ten times, still good. Chant it, chant it once, still good. Not that you will do it haphazardly, the puja, but if it's an offering of love, they say, Vaigunya, the small defects in the puja, God does not look at those. Because it's an offering of love. You don't want anything in return. You're just offering it out of love. You want, you say, no, I want purification of mind. Didn't you just say, result is purification? That's all right. The desire for God is not to be counted among desires. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way. And somebody asked, Swami, you say you're, give, you're giving up desires. To become a monk, you must give up desires. But do you want God or not? Yes. Then you have a desire. Sri Ramakrishna has the answer to that. The desire for God is not to be counted among desires. He says, the sugar candy is not to be counted among other candy. Because candy, he says, causes acidity and uh, acid, uh, acid reflux. <laughs> and sugar candy is something that destroys acidity. You have to be a Bengali to understand that, I think. <laughs> so, Michri, yes. So that is not to be counted rock candy. Rock candy. That is not to be counted among sweets. Though it tastes sweet. So des desire for God wipes out all worldly desire and takes you beyond worldliness. So that is not to be counted as a worldly desire. So there is no loss on this path. That's the point, number one. Number one was it takes you beyond the uh, bondage of karma. That was in 39th verse. And these three, there is no loss, there is no negative effect, and also a little bit of practice saves you from great fear. These are the explanations of that one, the first one. There is no negative effect, side effect. <laughs> Pratyavaya is an adverse effect, an unintended consequence. These, um, there, are, there are actually forces, you can call them psychic forces beyond our ordinary knowledge. And these, whether the Vedic fire sacrifices or the tantric practices, they play with these forces in order to get certain, certain results in our worldly life. Now, if you do not, if you're not careful, it can be damaging, like a powerful medicine if you don't take it in proper dosage, if you don't take it with proper diet, it can have unintended side effects. Sometimes the side effects are much worse and much <laughs> are very dangerous. It can land you up in hospital. The same way, uh, many religious acts are there, which are prescribed in the Vedas, for worldly benefits. And if you don't do it properly, it can lead to harm. So immediately... In the mind of the Vedic practitioners, the question was, this thing you're going to teach, karma yoga, this Gita, jnana, meditation, karma, all this you're teaching, do they have any side effects, negative effects, adverse, if I don't do it well? No, they don't. There's no side, no harmful consequence to it whatsoever. Anything that you do for spirituality, for the love of God, for God-realization, put it which, see, I'm using two kinds of words, self-realization, or spirituality, the way I say, uh, or God-realization. means the same thing. In Advaita Vedanta, you can say both ways. They have no, no negative consequences. No negative consequences. There is a story, I, it is traditionally told, so there is, I'll uh, tell that story and end here. <laughs> the story of Vritrasura. When you're talking about negative consequences, it's um, as an illustration, always a the traditional teacher will tell the story. But we have many Indian children didn't know the story. I knew it from those Amar Chitrakatha comics. The story goes like this. In the ancient days of the wars between the demons and the gods, 
um, the sage Twashta, um, his son, whose name was, surprise, surprise, Vishwarupa, <laughs> who was also a sage, he was killed by mistake by Indra, the king of the gods. And Twashta was furious with uh, the uh, king of the gods, Indra. And so he wanted to destroy Indra, the king of the gods. So he performed this elaborate Vedic sacrifice. See, this kind of work. With a specific worldly desire or otherworldly desire. The desire was the demon who will be born of this sacrifice will be manifested by this, a supernatural force, a demon, a terrifying demon. That demon will be powerful enough to kill the king of the gods. So there's an elaborate procedure to generate this force, this demon. Now, the story goes, the mantra which is to be chanted while the fire sacrifice is going on, Indra Shatrun Vardhaswa, Indra, Indra Shatrun Vardhaswa literally means let the enemy of Indra develop or grow or manifest. Now, there is a specific way of chanting Vedic mantras where you have to put stress on the intonation. It is connected to the way of chanting and grammar in a very intricate way. We will not go into the details but suffice it for this much. If you say Indra Shatru Vardhaswa, it means let the one who will destroy, the enemy of Indra, who will destroy Indra, let, let that one come out. This is what the, the sage wanted. But now the gods knew that our king is in danger, so they conspired and the goddess of learning, Saraswati, she uh, manifested on the tongue of the, uh, the rishi the moment he was about to chant at that time, uh, tongue twisted. So, she made it so that the Rishi chanted it wrongly. Instead of putting the emphasis on the last syllable, Indra Shatru, he said, Indra Shatru Vadhaswa, let he who will be destroyed by Indra, let him be manifested. <laughs> the meaning changes immediately, depending on where you put the stress. Because why? Again, there is, oh, there is uh, two types of Sanskrit Okay, I will not go into the details. <laughs> Grammatical conjunction, samasa. Shashti, Tatpurasa, Purusha and Bahubri, samasa. So if you, the, on, depending on pronunciation, the, uh, the grammatical conjunction changes. And so the meaning changes. And so he made a mistake. And what he wanted happened. A terrible demon came up and went out and fought against the gods and defeated the gods and defeated Indra. I think he swallowed Indra or something like that, or things like that. Now, what happened was, Indra had gone to the great sage Dadichi. So, story within story. And they said that only a weapon, the thunderbolt. Uh, in fact, Indra is called the wielder of the thunderbolt, Vajra. The thunderbolt can destroy this demon. Nothing else can destroy this demon. So what is the thunderbolt means? So you can see Indra is also the god of rain and thunder. So what, what he uses when there is a thunderstorm, that is Indra's, Indra's thunderbolt. So where will this thunderbolt be produced? Will Boeing make it or Northrop or Lockheed? <laughs> so it is the sage Dadhichi, the most righteous among sages. His bones uh, will, are, enough, uh, are required to make this thunderbolt. So... It is a person who has led a life of perfect, a perfectly ethical and moral life. So they go, how can you ask this? We want your bones. And the sage was so um, unattached to his worldly existence. He said, all right, Aisha, I'm, going, I'm going to give up my body in yogic meditation. I sat in meditation and left the body. You can use the bones. And so they manufactured the thunderbolt out of the bones. And Indra using the thunderbolt finally killed the demon Vritra. So from then on, Indra, the king of the gods, is known as the wielder of the Vajra, wielder of the thunderbolt, and so on. So the story is like that. But the point here is that the wrong pronunciation led to a wrong, uh, led to an absolutely opposite effect. So for all worldly kinds, even though a religious ritual, but if your desires are worldly, then you have to be very careful of how you perform the ritual. But for karma yoga, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, Whatever you do for the love of God, all right. 
the specifics don't count so much. You might say that's a nice fable. Practically, practically big thing. I remember our uh, the head of our monastery, the one we were trained under. He taught us these beautiful lessons. He said, "It's not the work that you do that matters. It's what the work does to you that matters. What did you get out of it? Not what did you do in the world outside." So sometimes we, as enthusiastic newcomers, we made mistakes. He was not worried about that. He would see that did we try, did we do it with the proper attitude, and did we learn from it? That's all. Sometimes the ashram, which didn't have much money, it suffered. There was somebody who, you know, a, a biogas plant and something. So one of the brahmacharis was in charge of that. He messed up, and the thing failed, and the ashram lost twenty thousand rupees. And we thought he's going to be in serious trouble now. And the Swami was not at all concerned. He said, "I'll raise the money somehow." But the thing is, what lesson do you take out of it? What lesson do you take out of it? How do you grow spiritually? That's what's important in work, not the worldly result. So that's the difference between worldly work and karma yoga. But don't try it with your boss. <laughs> I have grown spiritually, boss. What about the bottom line? The bottom line is dropped out. <laughs> then you are in trouble. <laughs> All right, we'll go on with this next time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu. This subject will go on from this 39th verse up to 53rd verse, the subject of Karma Yoga. Then there will be a change in subject again when Arjuna will ask the question, how do we know a person has become enlightened? So by what signs? That will be the last topic of this chapter.